welcome to Manage Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Allison Encero, Senior Editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. The Institute for Value-Based Medicine, or IBBM, is an initiative of the American Journal of Managed Care, where we invite thought leaders to share best practices across medicine, pharmacy, and management in regional locations around the country. In July of 2019, leading oncology experts gathered in Teaneck, New Jersey, to discuss innovation and quality in oncology care. You can read an article about the presentations and the discussion in the August 2019 issue of Evidence-Based Oncology. And here on today's podcast, you can listen to an excerpt of the wrap-up discussion, which was led by the moderator of the evening, Dr. Ileana Shapira, the Chief Medical Officer for Regional Cancer Care Associates. Joining her were Kim Wolfter, Executive Vice President, Strategic Alliances and Practice Innovation at Advanced Centers for Cancer Care in Indiana, Barry Russo, the Chief Executive Officer at the Center for Cancer and Blood Disorders in Texas, Lani Allison, the Vice President of Clinical Affairs for Regional Cancer Care Associates, and Susan Peretta, the Director of Partner Transformation at Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey. So I'm gonna invite the panel members to come and have a seat at the table. So for uh, Kim, what do you find to be the biggest misconception of the employers you worked with? I think the biggest misconception was that um, they had no power to impact the cost of care that they were spending. They truly, those employers truly believed that they were just stuck with those raises, that there was nothing they could do. Um, They had really never looked that deep into their data, and I I won't kid you, it was hard to get, they actually had to pay to get their own data, which, you know, is another thing we would help when we write contracts now, but um, employers were having difficulty, and that's what they literally believed, that they had to take what was fed to them without being able to impact it at all. I think that was the biggest misconception. Wow. Susan, do you find the same um, misconception that employers have when you go and negotiate with them contracts? I agree that by giving them information, it, it really does help them to make more informed decisions. I think you know many many of the employers are like well informed and and use that data in their negotiations. I don't negotiate contracts, um, but but with the self funded accounts, uh, the more that we can share with them and offer them choices, I do believe it has influence on access to care. Barry, did you have any of these experiences before with employers? Yeah, um, we actually there's a there are several employer uh, coalitions around the country uh, that I know that Kim has uh, dealt with as well. And there's one in Texas called the Texas Business Group on Health. Uh, there's one in Michigan, actually, in the Midwest, right? Um, uh, and there's one up here too uh, in in Northeast. Northeast. Um, and I, I will say, if you if you get a chance to um, go to a coalition meeting, uh, you should be there uh, because you learn so much about what employers are struggling with, 
uh, I had um, a pharmacy person approach me yesterday actually asking, um, could we get employers engaged in um, carving out oncology uh, for oral therapy? Uh, and I said, uh, uh, employers are interested in uh, all of their drug process and drug spend. And uh, unless we have a solution that helps them or changes their life and all of their drug spend, uh, we're not getting anywhere trying to carve out oncology. Uh, it, it's amazing what you learn going to a coalition meeting, uh, what employers are struggling with. Uh, luckily for us, Southwest Airlines is in Dallas, right? So right. I did get a chance to, uh, I've had several meetings with the Southwest Airlines people and, and, uh, and, and Kim actually gave me this suggestion many years ago about uh, getting onto uh, their campus and doing preventive things, and, and which we are uh, and have been. And we were talking to her about partial fills. Mm -hmm. So uh, she actually went to um, her um, PBM, which was Express Scripts, uh, and told them they, that they would either implement partial fills or she was terminating their relationship. So partial uh, fills meaning 10 pills, uh, 10 right. days a month like or two 15 weeks, days? Two weeks, oh, two uh, weeks, two weeks, two weeks uh, fill uh, and then uh, wait for uh, the next visit before they continued. And um, uh, shockingly, they implemented partial fills, right? So um, Express scripts. E express scripts. Wow. Specifically for her. I'm not saying oh, in not general. Oh, not for everybody. Okay. Just for Southwest Airlines, right? So, but huge step in the right direction of employers, uh, uh, the ones that I have run into so many times through the coalition meetings, they don't have the information. They don't know all that's all going on. They're so much more consumed in the bigger picture of all the healthcare issues. Uh, and oncology is such a smaller blip, high cost, but small volume, uh, that uh, they really do uh, can appreciate and can value from your input at a coalition meeting. Uh, and <coughs> we're actually having uh, a coalition meeting, Texas Business Group on Health in August, that's specifically on cancer. Mm -hmm. So that's another opportunity uh, where we're kind of getting a little focused on, on our specialty to try and get some momentum associated with that. But uh, I can't emphasize enough how helpful that process can be uh, in getting engaged with your coalition and whether you uh, work for a provider group or whether you work for uh, a manufacturer or whether you work for uh, a data company, you have value to the coalition members. You'd be surprised. Um, and stay for the after meeting drinks because yeah. that's <laughs> where you get, <laughs> right? Right, that, that's, yeah, <laughs> that's where you get the most, uh, yeah, no, that's where you get the most opportunity to have a few minutes where you can um, really have some conversations that lead to uh, to um, more relationship building in the future. You know, one thing I'll add, if you've not worked with employers on their oral drug, that is a huge hurdle. So when I was working with employers, of course, I wanted to be their choice person. And a win for me was just to be allowed to provide care, to be added to their network. And um, the first question that I, I didn't know this went on, so I'm telling you, the first question that employer said to me was, now will you give me rebates too? And I'm like, you get rebates? <laughs> <laughs> so the PBMs pass rebates back to the employers. And to them, that's real cash. 
in their bottom line. And so be prepared for that question if you're ever in that situation. I'll, I'll add to, I'm sorry to keep going on the subject, but I'll add to that too. PBMs give rebates to employers, but not all of the rebates. Oh yeah. Uh, and that's information the employers appreciate as well. There are PBMs that will give 100% of the rebate back to the employer. You have to find them. Uh, and you have to work with the PBM, sorry, the employer to, to pick the right uh, PBMs. Uh, it is um, that whole PBM issue. In fact, if you can get speakers to your employer coalition to talk about how to better manage PBMs, you've done a big service to the employers. Uh, and we've done that at Texas Business Group on Health. And there is uh, a, a lady who works for one of the big accounting firms who actually worked for a PBM. She does an amazing talk, amazing talk, so informative. So um, even getting that person to your coalition uh, on your behalf would be helpful. That's fantastic. Any other questions? Go ahead, Sita. Um, quick question. Okay. It's the fee schedule. Kim, you brought up the fact that you were able to create a community fee schedule. I find that's a very big challenge today that we have especially when you go into value-based contract. You can do everything you want to do, but if the health plan is paying more to the hospitals or increases the amount they're gonna pay, suddenly your savings are gone. So how did you handle getting a community-based fee schedule for you? And then from Horizon's perspective, are you ever looking to be transparent with fee schedules that are given to the community that you're offering the value-based contracts for? because that is one of the biggest challenges we are facing right now. I think one of the, as we are working on the fee schedule, what has come forward, and again, remember there's a whole separate business doing this, mm -hmm. is we are right now in negotiations um, to buy a TPA. Mm -hmm. Because the only way we can really enact that fee schedule, so we've agreed to money, but you have to be able to adjudicate those claims. Otherwise, and, and you can't, if I'm an employer, you can't just adjudicate my orthopedic and oncology claims. You gotta, you gotta be able to do them all. And um, so I can tell you right now, we're in the process of purchasing a TPA. I can't commit to that what transparency um, we will have on fee schedules, but what I can say is we've, we're really moving away from fee-for-service uh, to value-based um, payment based on uh, outcomes, uh, outcomes by cost and quality. And um, so I, I believe that those fees then kind of differ, you know, based on the, t the type of arrangement we have, you know, with you. Lani was asked, how did patient respond to the value-based changes that she implemented? In one or a phrase, very pleasantly surprised, because this was not done in the fee-for-service world at all. And I think we take pride at our CCA because we not only do this for our value-based contracts, we offer it to everyone. And if you had to do this journey over again, what would you do differently, Lani? If I have to do this over again, um, I think I could really wish for more real-time data. There are predictive models and hopefully artificial intelligence soon. It is very difficult to look at or uh, call a patient or meet a patient when 
your data is a little bit behind. It's very frustrating, as you know, this Barry, to get OCM data that's like two years old about patients that may not be around anymore. So if I can do this over again, I think we would really invest in, um, in either predictive data or even just-in-time data. Mr. Rosso, do you have any comments on that? Yeah, I, I would certainly agree with Lanny that they, uh, the data is key. Um, and I, I think uh, for those of us in OCM who are looking at two-sided risk, I think we really have to collectively, you know, one of the things I find interesting about the OCM practices, all of us, is we never aggregate our communication to CMS. Uh, it's, it's individual. And then uh, a lot of times uh, what's happening is a lot of the hospital-based entities, the Mayos and the other folks, uh, are the ones uh, that you seem to hear more of and not those of us who are really work. It, process of care has changed in our practice. The process of care has changed in your practice. The process of care in a large academic institution hasn't changed a whole lot. Uh, and. I, I wish that we would organize better in our communication to CMS because in two-sided risk model, this data thing has to be resolved, has to be resolved or else we're not going to make it. In relationship to the changes we've made internally in, in, in scope of support services and some of the things that Lanny mentioned uh, and our patients' uh, perception of it, fortunately or unfortunately, whichever way you look at it, it it's the new norm in our practice. So. Our patients don't even know the difference, right? Uh, so a lot of times, uh, the, the massage therapist, first of all, massage therapy, psychotherapy, dietitian services, social services, all that's free to our patients in our practice. It's just what they think the way things are. They don't even know that that's totally different than uh, if they went somewhere else, which is cool that that's what it is, right? right? And all those things are really important to how we manage patient care. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I struggle a little bit with, um, as I, so many times out, you know, hey, how are you? Good, good. Uh, can I help you? You know, I'm waiting on Joy. Uh, our massage therapist's name is Joy, right? Um, uh, which is so true, too. Uh, <laughs> 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 That's her real name. Um, so I'm waiting on Joy, and I'm waiting on, or I'm waiting on Dr. Murphy, or I'm waiting on, the, you know, and I just want to say, do you realize how, uh, different this is than every other place you would step into, but I don't do that obviously, and, and I don't think people recognize it, but it, it really has become the new norm uh, for how we take care of patients, just as it is in, in RCCA, and I'm sure in Kim's practice, and uh, of uh, it's just, it's a whole different way we're taking care of people than we were, uh, I would say, five, six, seven years ago. So Dr. Shapiro, can I just uh, add a quick um, comment to um, what Barry said the first time? I think that's a brilliant idea that we should really should have put all our responses together to OCM because um, I actually was um, fortunate or unfortunate to be invited to um, or asked to go to the Northeast Business Group um, Coalition meeting. And I tried to speak, but I was, I was with Memorial Sloan Catering. I was with um, MD Anderson. I was uh, with uh, North Shore Long Island, um, Northwell, I think they call themselves now. And so very big hospital groups and 
they could, I could not get in because they really spoke the same language. And I'm like, I have better outcomes. I have better cost, but I wasn't able to get into. But I think if we had a coalition, probably, of, of community-based um, practices, we would have been heard. So Dr. Shapira, that is your challenge now. <laughs> so, so, Kim, how, so Kim, how did you uh, open the first employer's door? How did you do that? You kick it open? How did you get <laughs> in? This is, so in life, things just fall in your lap sometimes. <laughs> and that's what happened. They called me. They called me because of that big data platform. They saw me on the paper. Well, it wasn't me. It was another guy. But they were cutting the ribbon to accept the check from the city for our big data platform. And this HR director said, if you can do that, can you do that for me? And I think you know, when opportunities come our way, we have to be open to them and go with it. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I said, sure, I can do that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> sure. And, and you figure it out as you go. And it has really opened my eyes and their eyes. So that's how the first one, and, and as I said before, if I, my first give back was to uh, create a fee schedule in my system that was my allowed amount so that they could see real time that working with me, even my costs went down. And I wasn't getting any more money than that anyway. But we just hadn't paid attention to it. You know, that day of, at least in Indiana, I don't get many percents of build charges contracts anymore. And so, you know, I don't know why we kept our fee schedules at that level. But I think that was my first win. And it's a win that they understand. They saw it in real life. So. That's fantastic. So serendipity coupled with American entrepreneurship mm. That's led right. to the <laughs> best right. outcome. That's right. Here you go. That's right. And obviously being diligent and you know following up and saying, I can do. And I think, too, you have to look at your competition. I had to be able to validate, just as, as everyone has said here, you have dietitians, you have navigators, you have 24-hour um, nursing on call. You know, our hospital systems don't do that. The employers thought that our office was going to be more expensive than the hospital because they knew that the hospital was inconvenient, wasn't easy parking. They, um, so when they saw the dollar amount, they were shocked because their perception was that we were the boutique office and it was going to cost you more money. And once they understood that you get all of that at a lower cost, it was just like mind-blowing to them because that was their perception so, so it's also our perception you know we 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 have misconceptions when we approach this type of uh, employer engagement we we assume that they don't want to talk to us we mm -hmm. assume that they know all the pricing we assume that they know where the better care is we we make all these presumptions which you know we gotta let those assumptions die mm -hmm. if we want to move forward right that's right. And I was also surprised at how they are all really connected. You talk to one employer and they called a few of their closest friends and then it just kind of went from there. Right. So the first one is the hardest. First one's the hardest. Any other questions? Go ahead. You guys, I know we have been talking about <coughs> how great AI and machine learning are. I don't want to be a party pooper, but <laughs> what's one thing about AI in healthcare that worries you or scares you a little bit? I, I would say, um, uh, for me, it doesn't scare me. I'm just so excited about what opportunity is out there. 
for our doctors, it was immediately wrong because uh, a machine doesn't know better. They don't. It doesn't have the. Um, it, it doesn't have the patient touch. It doesn't. Yes. It doesn't understand Emotional, my patient. It doesn't yeah. understand my situation. Um, so my patients really, are different. My patients are diff sicker. Sicker. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> 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 so what um, what we really spent a lot of time and I was telling uh, Terrell this earlier that we spent uh, a year and a half just getting our doctors educated and comfortable on what artificial intelligence was, which is a support structure to their decision making and not uh, something that would disrupt or interrupt their decision making. It's a support structure because, oh, okay, I feel better. That isn't how it worked. It's a support structure. No, it's not. You're trying to take over, you know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> the radiologist will be gone and the next thing I know I'll be gone. And, and uh, so it takes a lot of con continuing education and information and uh, understanding how, what, as you're using it, how valuable it is, and uh, I will tell you that uh, again, this socioeconomic piece. Um, I can't tell you enough what a huge deal this is. When I was talking to a social worker the other day, and I said, "Are you making?" She said, "I'm making calls on all of those low education, low income uh, patients," and she said, well, "We are, we are finding some things and and." proactively and I thought this is the coolest stuff ever uh, uh, that we're able to sort of recognize that and 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 that kind of success or those kinds of success stories even that whole thing with patients that are getting you know hormonal therapy and figuring out that that we used to think don't worry about those uh, and now figuring out wait a minute the number one person on our our PP3 report was an AI patient one wow. the highest cost patient wow. we had. Um, Who would have thought? I know, huh? Uh, so we have some success stories. As long as you're you're bringing the success stories and people and the doctors are hearing them, they start to feel a little more comfortable with it, and we're starting to get there. Uh, but uh, my biggest concern with AI is we're not moving fast enough. We're so far behind of what we could be doing with artificial intelligence at the point of care where my physician is sitting so he has all he or she has all the information that he or she needs to make an informed decision in a complicated OCM two-sided risk ACO world any other questions mr. I Jordan so either Kim or Barry have you been able to convince your physicians that the data or AI will actually reduce their workload so that they're not working as hard because it'll inform their decision making, inform you know how they deal with patients and who they choose. Um, I've had a little bit of success, and I think the way we did that is to start small. So because I have a technology, I have data analysts. We are doing some. I would say it's machine learning more than art. We're not all the way to AI, but um, and and really. It formatted it that we're trying to free up their time so they can spend more time with their patients. And um, the biggest thing we're working on right now, and this is not novel, other people are doing it, is basically to train an Alexa to listen to a real conversation between a, a physician and a patient. And it is learning that when I say, your lungs sound good today, what to document over here. 
And I believe if I could treat this patient just by a great conversation, it can order, that's what we're working on now, it can order your CTs. When I say I do a CT next week and I'll see you in three weeks, it's placing all those orders, we're training it. I could hire any physician of the country if I said, you don't have to document, you just come here and be a great doctor. <laughs> and just talk to the patient. That's just all you to need to do. Now, you know, that's an evolving thing. So that's the example I give them when I talk about machine learning and AI, because it's something that's a pain point for them. I agree with Barry, that's really where we're trying to go. But just so they're not frightened, I had to put it into what would make their world a better place. And so they are under, they're understanding. We've also done some um, machine learning with um, claims processing. So, you know, if you have a biller and this rejects, you do this, this, this. So it's mimicking what they're doing and learning from those processes. So I haven't done to the extent where Barry is. I think predictive analytics, serving up information is absolutely the place to go. Um, but again, and with all due respect, my physicians, you know, if you take away the art of medicine, you know, that's what they think you're doing. And I'm trying to make you a better doctor. You know, I should make you better, quicker, faster, spend more time. So it's a hurdle. It's a hurdle. So is it the um, <coughs> reluctance to accept change or is it the fact that they feel that the pathway are impositions on, onto their practice? Which one it is? It's the latter. It, it, it's probably a little, little of both, but it, I really think um, we have a young practice. Uh, the average age of our doctors is somewhere in the late 30s. So uh, we have a young practice. I'm like the oldest. I've, I recruited all of them. Like I'm, gonna be old. I'm like their dad, right? <laughs> so about to be their granddad. Uh, so... Um, uh, we have a fairly young practice, so the the, the young folks, uh, it, it's not an, it's not a, um, they're not necessarily afraid of it. Um, it. It's it's one more click. How many times do you hear that? It's one more click. You're gonna make me make one more click. It, the whole like they count clicks. They s actually spend the time counting the clicks. Right. Uh, <laughs> so they can tell me how many clicks it takes, and then it took you more time to figure that out than it did just and to. But tell you how much money they lost. They lost by that many clicks, and so our our issue has been that we haven't uh, had a whole lot of success, Terrell, in convincing our doctors that we're not creating more work for them yet. Uh, and and, uh, and I'm not saying we have created more work for them. I don't think we've relieved them any of anything yet, um, because. Uh, as soon as I think we're relieving them with something, some other requirement comes in that uh, now I got to figure out some way to you know get them to look at that too, and which is why this whole AI thing at the point of care is so important, so that um, it, it 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 isn't 17 clicks they have to do. The system is is going through the decision process and the predictive analytics and the machine learning and putting the options in front of the physician so that, um, but we're not there yet. Our EMRs are not there yet. And uh, that's where, where, where we need to be. Um, right now, my doctors are very um, skeptical that uh, everything that we're doing is just going to create more work for them. Um, because this is what has been happening for the past decade since the invention of the electronic medical record sure. and all the other horses of the apocalypse that were invented with the <laughs> EHR. Um, we have time for one more question. Uh, 
Sita. When we talk about oncology care, I feel it's not just the patient, it's also the caregiver that's with the patient. How do you see that evolving and moving, you know, in the care model? It's, that's very important. And I really have to give a shout out to UCLA um, because they really have um, a good model for this. Uh, one of my best friends in life actually lost her battle with um, stage four glioblastoma. And um, her son um, was the caregiver from the very, uh, from the very beginning. The way that UCLA supported uh, that experience with him um, till um, the end of life and all of that uh, was just amazing. And one day I, I will make a trip there um, and, um, and ask them because they presented at ONS is a model. Um, and, um, and we could learn from, um, from the hospital base because that's really where uh, uh, cancer care has, um, started. Um, the other thing too is that um, her, her son is actually has been asked to present. Um, I just said that um, at the beginning uh, when I was um, uh, uh, presenting that the caregivers are really are the, uh, are the hidden keys to getting to the patient. And as um, my journey with my father happened, um, they already see that they need to talk to me because whenever the hard questions are being asked of my father, that he looks at me. So we need to really understand, and I just told my staff that yesterday, you have to meet the caregiver at the first hello, which is when they come back or when they're the first patient. You, I cannot, you know, like being, having gone through this personally, underestimate the power and the influence of the caregiver, whoever it is. And it's HIPAA forms are important, but I think beyond the HIPAA forms, you really have to understand the dynamics of the family right at hello. And I think we need to understand who really the patient is listening to in helping them make decisions. Thank you so much. And with this, we're gonna conclude our conference. Thank you very much for, to our faculty and a round of applause. And um, thank you, uh, conference organizers and our sponsors. Thank you very much. To learn more about the oncology care model, visit AJMC.com and Evidence-Based Oncology. To stay up to date with the next IVBM event, visit AJMC.com backslash meetings. The next IVBM will take place September 19, 2019 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Also, follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.